Welcome to episode 45 of the Web 2.0 show, the Why Do We Even Count These Numbers Anyway episode, or GitHub. I'm your host, Josh Owens. And I am getting drunk, Adam Stachowiak. The Web 2.0 show profiles the awesomest people on the net, voting the coolest shit ever, also known as GitHub. So we recorded this interview as part of our Web 2.0 expo series. Uh, they, they, the GitHub guys weren't at the expo, but uh, they were in town there in San Francisco. And uh, we got a chance to go over and hang out at the Pivotal Labs office and uh, meet with them. Uh, they met us there, and, and we were able to uh, throw down a quick interview in one of their... Did they meet us there, Josh? They met us there, dude. They did. They did. They they came there, right, yeah. to the office of, of Pivotal Labs, right? Yeah. yeah. We we like crashed That's there. Crazy. They do this like brown bag lunch series where they bring in a guest speaker and like cater a lunch yeah. and there was all no these lunch people. for us. Yeah. It's because we were sucks. we were party crashers. We went over to that Vietnamese place and got those shitty sandwiches that I never wanted to eat again. <laughs> disgusting. Did you hear about Pivotal, just, Pivotal Labs today? Speaking of them, no. So they, they got uh, picked up by Twitter, contracted by Twitter to help work on the Twitter downtime issues. Well, they have enough developers. Yeah, yeah that was a big office. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, we, we got to sit down with the GitHub guys, and uh, it, was, it was pretty awesome. It was a good TP interview. TP Dubs. TP Dubs. Chris Wain- Wansrath. Wan- yeah, he Wansrath. pronounces it Wansrath. Wands, Wands, Wands around. Um, t- I probably totally butchered it. Never mind. It's, probably. I call him defunct. I go by Twitter name. Twitter names nowadays. So. Yes. Whatever. And if you're interested, we have our own Twitter, Web Two Zero Show. And you, you have yours, Adam Stack S T A C, and mine is Josh Owens. You find us on Twitter. Follow and, us. And we have kind of an exciting announcement. We just launched Handcrafted. It's true. What is Handcrafted, Josh? It is a company devoted to beautifully handcrafted web code. <laughs> <laughs> also known as a super sophisticated web application development firm. Right. If you can, can you call yourself a firm if you're just two people? Shh. We can put up the illusion that we're more than two people. Right, right? yeah. Okay, yeah. that makes... Yeah, let's Yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's act big. Yeah. We just, you, know what? You, you can still say, like, I'll get my team to work on it. I mean, technically, right. the two of us are a team, right? So that's, Yeah, totally, dude. You know what? 37 Signals wrote Getting Real. We'll write the book called Act Big. <laughs> there we go. That's our shit. But, oh, we'll do it. No, even better, we'll call it Pretending Big. Big. Alright, so anyways. Gethandcrafted.com. Get handcrafted. Which is a lovely landing page for the time being. Yep. That's because we produced the Web 2.0 show. We are developing Transponder and we are for hire. Indeed. Let's talk about the interview. Did you listen to the interview? I haven't listened to the interview. You know me, I never listen to the interviews. Alright. So let, let me clue the listeners in. So what you're about to hear when we switch it over to the actual episode is about 45 minutes of pretty entertaining conversation between myself, Josh, uh, Chris, and TP Dubs, also known as Tom Preston Warner. And they sort of lead us through the way of Logical Awesome, their company that is behind GitHub, uh, the team members involved there, sort of their, their path to success, some of their failures. They talk about user experience a lot. They talk about you know, developing something that, that really, really makes you happy and being excited about it. And they also talk about, you know, getting to the point of developing an application or a product that, or, or a project in general that makes money and what is required to do that and sort of the takeaways of doing that. So that's that's what we really that's one thing I really took away from the episode and I think it's gonna be really, really awesome. So hope you enjoy it. Yeah, hopefully. I mean Git is very powerful. If you're not using Git with an I, then uh you're probably wasting your time with your source code management. It's true. SVN. Good bu- goodbye. Did they mention Engine Yard at all in the the episode? Do you remember? 
I don't recall them mentioning Engineer, but why don't you go ahead and talk about Engineer real quick in regards to Git and GitHub. Yes, so Engineer is the sponsor for this week's episode again, and uh, they have the awesomest Rails business hosting ever. And uh, they actually have this cool deal with the GitHub guys and with uh, Lighthouse and New Relic, which is another firm that I want to talk to. I want to get them on the show too. Um, yep. Where if you sign up for Engineard, you get a free account with GitHub and Lighthouse and New Relic. And uh, if you're building a Rails app, you should be using uh, most of these tools. Like GitHub, that's a no-brainer. I mean, you know. That's your starting point. Yeah, you'll you'll hear about that shortly. And New Relic, uh, you know, hopefully we can we can get them on and they'll talk about it in depth. But they have this great tool you install, and you know it'll go out there, sit on your app, and like tell you where your app's running slow at. And uh, the reporting's phenomenal. Yeah, it really is. Like they have a lot of cool graphs, and you're able to drill down and see like. You know, if you're in a controller, which database call is the slowest, and it gives you um, a nice graph that shows you, like, which database queries are your slowest, so you can add indexes and speed them up. Right. So tell me, which, uh, how, how has New Relic helped you so far? It, like, I remember you telling me about how it's helped you solve a few bottlenecks in Transponder already. Yeah. Maybe do, like, 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, I found some on. in Transponder. Um, I was working with Steve over at Less Everything. Uh, we found some in Less Accounting. Um, we found some in Tasty Planner, which is uh, kind of where I got started because Engineer hosts Tasty Planner since we won the Rumble. And uh, I went and got our, our free account. And uh, it, it's amazing. I mean, for them, it, it's a no-brainer for someone like Engineer to host New Relic and then get free accounts for their, their users because... I mean, who doesn't want a Rails app that runs faster? Genius. Yeah, it's all it's all about running faster. So, takeaway from New Relic is that the reporting is awesome, but the drill down is even better. You can really drill down into like where your bottlenecks are happening in your controller, and that's what I saw you do. And then the speed ups we've seen in our apps is is awesome. So. Yeah, and not only that, but <clears throat> if you're if you're interested, I would highly suggest you guys checking out Ezra's blog too. Uh, we'll have an episode with him coming up at some point but uh, he just released something called um, Vertebrae that they're working on that uh, looks like it'll be awesome for doing um, hosting. Basically it's it's like this IM setup where the servers kind of like chat with each other over Jabber. It's crazy. It's wow. pretty cool. And uh, my understanding is they'll be using it soon on their own stuff and then they'll be releasing it out in the wild for other people to build off of. Yeah. So Engine Yard, cool company. Engine Yard. And I like Engine Yard. Those guys are just fun in general. Yep. You know, they're they're actually breaking off and they're not just a hosting company anymore. Now they're doing open source development, which everybody should know already, but they're sort of splitting their company in two uh, being an open source software developer. You know, starting with Rubinius and Merb. And obviously now vertebrae. Vertebrae. That's right. Is, is that open source? It will be. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if it's officially out there yet or not. But uh, Ezra's been given the go ahead by the board to release it. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Awesome stuff. So without further ado, I think we should send everybody off to the episode. Hopefully you enjoy it. GitHub is awesome. Engineer is awesome. We love you. Thanks for listening. We we love Octocat. 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 Go. So we're here at the uh, Pivotal Labs with the Logical Awesome Guys, Tom Preston Werner, TP Dubs, <laughs> Chris Wainsrath. So uh, you, you guys started Logical Awesome. Tell us, uh, I guess, how that happened and uh, what, what you guys do at Logical Awesome. Sure. So I guess the very beginnings were Chris and I were at a bar after one of the local Ruby meetups. I believe. What bar was that? Zeke's on 4th um, or 3rd? But, yeah, so uh, I was working on a, a binding to get, uh, to get a Ruby binding to get at the time. I had just started, and I knew that Chris had been uh, interested in doing get stuff before that, 
uh, even. And I'd been using it at, at PowerSat previously too, a little bit. And uh, I, I, I had the notion that it was painful to make repositories public for people to see, to get to. Uh, I had worked on some projects with some people, and just getting the data between the two people, you had to put it up on a public server somewhere or somewhere that both people had access to. It could be a private internal server. But the problem was that this was a huge pain in the ass, right, to get this set up. And so uh, this, uh, we, we met up, and I started talking to Chris about this at that bar, and, we, and I said, hey, let's, let's do something together. And, uh, and we decided that, yeah, we had both wanted to do something like this. I guess, Chris, you had worked on something for AirFree. You had started working on something already? Yeah. Well, I, I had, tried to, had this idea and tried to solve it selfishly by saying, oh, I'll just write something that I can use to publish my public projects really easily. And it was just a Sinatra kind of GitWeb thing. Um, with pretty much a nice interface that people could use to download, but it wasn't at all like a, a, a github.com. It was just going to be git.airtheblog and ambition and some of those projects there because I just thought GitWeb itself was so ugly, and unfortunately Warehouse, which was, I thought, the prettiest of the source browsers, didn't have uh, Git support at the time. Yeah, so I think what we both decided was there might be something to the idea of creating a website where people could publish repositories to to share them with other people obviously we're both web developers we know how to, to construct something like this there's a couple there was there was really only one alternative to do that at the time which was repo.or.cz which used the git web interface plus some hacks to be able to upload your ssh key to be able to ssh push and whatnot but the interface was not the best you had to if you lost your password for instance which i did several times uh, you had to email the guy, the administrator, to get that information, so you were kind of stuck. Um, additionally, they took the stance that the repo was the most important thing, and so I had I had the God repository up there for a long time. And if someone wanted to to fork that and work on it, they had to create a different name for that. It would you know you could fork it on there uh, on GitWeb. You can do a fork, uh, but. It really it became its own repository separately. The, the tie was, was tenuous, and I felt like the user, in a distributed model, the user is what's important. The user says, here's my code. It, you know, maybe I made some changes from yours, but I think that, that, that was what should be first class in a distributed model. Here's people, and here's code that they have. Nobody's repository is really the, the, the official one in that model. It's only official by some, uh, say a website, uh, an official website saying that this repository is the real one. This is, this is what we bless as the official one and that the hosting site shouldn't say that it should be easy for someone that controls a website to point that pointer to a new place. Think of it just like a pointer, right? One day, my repository is the official one. Let's say I go missing. I move to, to Europe and, and start a nomadic lifestyle, and Chris wants to pick up the project. All that that website has to do is say, oh, now Chris's is the official one. He's taken over. He's the new maintainer. Yeah, basically, the, the whole which project is the central project thing we decided was a social problem and not a technological problem. So the guys at repo.or.cz took a technical angle where – you name your project God, okay, this is the God repo. But really it should be that, like, when I Google for God repo, whichever one comes up first, that's the central repository. So even if Tom started the project, you know, once he begins his nomadic lifestyle, if I start committing and I start pointing to, to my repo and that comes up first on Google results, like, that's it. It's mine is the number one. Whereas on repo.or.cz or even with Subversion, people might still be going to the repo.or slash God because it looks official. That's what the... The technology on that website presents, but it's not actually the case. So we kind of wanted to, to solve that and democratize the whole process. So really it comes down to the, the official repo is the one that either you know shows up when you Google for it or the author points to or is the one from which like the Ruby gem or the tarball gets created in the case of something like like, uh, like God, for instance. You know, Tom is the one that publishes the gem from that repository. So that's where you go to see the gem version. So that's that's interesting. Are you guys have you guys done any kind of uh, SEO work on the GitHub side to uh, kind of help with the the googling? If by changing the title to say you know to have the word uh, Git hosting in it, then sure, but not really beyond that. 
Well, I mean, do you like, let's say I, uh, well, I have a project there and I, I haven't even paid attention, but um, like if you pull up the repo, does it have the repo name in the title and in the, in the H1 tag? Just like curious. Yeah, they usually come up actually pretty well. Um, like when you Google for RESTful authentication, I think the first hit is a GitHub and that's the same for lots of projects. Nice. I, actually, I, you have a, a plugin, right? It's called Queso that does site mapping. <laughs> it's just called Sitemap. It's not called Queso. I don't know what that was about. Well, we haven't actually like rolled that out yet, but we do want to work on that kind of stuff eventually to make it even higher. But so far, with all the incoming bloggers linking to their own projects, we've done really well with Google. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, you guys, I, I think you, Chris, maybe um, released a number. Like you guys had like a million page views in the first month. Um. Yeah. In the it wasn't. It wasn't really the first month because we just launched like a week, two weeks ago, two weeks ago tomorrow. But uh, in the past month, at this point, we've had like a million and a quarter, just under a million and a quarter page views, and it just keeps going up. Nice. So I mean, it's that's not a lot in the grand scheme of things, but I think for like a public code hosting site, we're doing pretty well. Yeah, for sure. You guys, it's it's kind of a, a weird kind of conglomeration company that you've created here because. Chris, you were with um, PJ doing the air-free stuff, and you guys were doing client stuff, and then you launched FamSpam. And now, actually, PJ is working with you guys on GitHub, Illogical Awesome? Yeah, but it's totally separate kind of company. Um, Airfree is the entity through which PJ and I do client work and, more recently, training and consulting and that sort of thing. So we started that almost exactly a year ago once we left CNET. And um, we saved up some money in the company, and we did fam spam for a while. And this was a kind of a Google groupish, simplified family mailing list that we launched in December. But while fam spam was going on, like pretty much nights and weekends, I was working with Tom. I guess specifically weekends, usually Saturdays, uh, on GitHub. And then um, as soon as it was ready, we kind of threw out a, a version of GitHub on like git.airfree.com, and PJ and I used it for fam spam. So then we could see like all the you know. Once the basic code browsing stuff was there and the commit stuff was there, we used it for fam spam. And I think a lot of, um, I think we spent like two or three months of just on just like the code browsing and the navigation and the kind of like what makes sense for viewing different branches and that sort of thing. And, you know, have, using it every day all the time was a big help, I think, in uh, at least me kind of understanding Git a lot more and changing the website and tweaking it in little ways. So we, we were doing that and then, um, GitHub, we launched the private beta of it in January of this year uh, with the Merb project, and it just started going really, really well. So Tom and I started Logical Awesome, and um, PJ is a member of the company as well, and it's kind of taken on its own uh, form and massiveness. So Airfree is still kind of just in the background for when we want to do client stuff, but um, right now I work full-time on GitHub. Like, I'm working very hard right now on GitHub at this exact moment. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the client stuff isn't as big a deal as it used to be. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So, I mean, obviously the launch was a pretty big success for you guys. The launch the launch was amazing. We had a, a huge traffic spike. Uh, Rails came on board right after we launched. Uh, there was that little, you know, fiasco like a week beforehand <laughs> yeah. where, where it almost did, right? But we weren't on our new hardware yet, and we right. didn't want the, you know, the masses – coming on board our hardware before we had built it out to the point where we were comfortable uh, with the stability and being able to handle that kind of traffic flow. So, yeah, we, we asked them to hold off uh, on that until after launch. So they come on board right afterwards. Adoption has been awesome. We're getting you know tons of new users every day. Uh, the adoption of Git has been really phenomenal. I think people are starting to really see how it's a, a game changer in the source control world. Uh, one of the things that I liked a lot about Git for me was that uh, it seemed very logical. Coming from a, a user who was, you know, stuck on SVN with with uh, a lot of the Rails projects we're working on, but how do you feel about how it's changed? Not so much just the adoption of Git, but also how it's evolved software development, community sharing. Uh, like you said before about forking a project and it's not really mine or yours, and I could push changes back to you, you can integrate them. But how do you feel about sort of how it's become sort of social in a sense, how it's socialized some software development. MySpace my for coders. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we prefer Facebook yeah. for oh, coders. Fa Facebook my for girlfriend coders. heard that, and she's like, isn't that an insult? Why do you guys want to be like MySpace? <laughs> <laughs> for me, that's, that's really what it's become all about. It's all about fostering this new world where the code, where code is just code, ego drops out a little bit, and it's more about people just hacking on stuff that's awesome, uh, working 
as a team on something in a more streamlined way where they can work locally and not have to worry about screwing up where you can do experimental things locally. It's really get is your permission to fuck up. It's your permission to go down a road that was wrong and not have to have shared that with the whole world, right? To try out new things, experimental things, push them to people easily if they're interesting. And if they're not, just wipe them out and forget about it and go on with your life. Whereas subversion, the branching is so painful that you're always in that main repository. And at the end of the day, you want to push to it because if your disk goes down, if your heart, your heart, you know, if your hard drive gets wiped for some reason, that's, you know, that stuff is gone. And, uh, to be able to, to push to a, a public place that's, that's your own, that maybe other people can't see. I mean, you can have a private repository on, on GitHub where you store experimental stuff, even for public projects, right? You could have a private one for your sort of persistence, your backup, and then a public one where you actually push the stuff that's ready. I mean, there's no reason you can't do that. And it's trivial to do, to have multiple repositories that are for different things. Or you, you keep that stuff locally. Um, the, the de facto backup of a distributed source control system is also super nice. You don't have to worry so much about that single repository becoming corrupted and all of a sudden you're completely screwed because nobody has the history, right? And Git, everyone has the history. If someone loses their entire code base, they're only going to lose whatever local stuff they had that they never pushed anywhere. Everyone else still has the full repository. But what I really wanted to say was that – got off on a tangent there. What I wanted to say was that uh, Evan Phoenix's speech at Mountain West was really profound for me where he talked about being truly open source, where you have the open commit bit, where he really said if you want a project to grow and, and to, to grow forever and to not have to worry about it fading in, into non-existence if you, know, if you leave off on it, you really need to accept everyone. You need to have contributors from all walks of life who are able to contribute whatever they can uh, and get – Git makes this even more of uh, um, even more of a possibility. It makes it truly simple to do because you sort of have a de facto open commit bit for every project that is public. I can go on, I can fork off, you know, whatever I want, start hacking on it. When I'm ready, I can say, "Hey, here's my changes." They're basically out there. It, you know, it's done. It's in a code repository which is in the project. That makes it especially trivial for someone like Evan Phoenix and, you know, maybe the, 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 the core. And when I say core, you know, the, the, the people that have worked on, say, Rubinius the most, makes it easy for them to review those changes and pull them in. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Subversion, they have to deal with patches. You have to deal with, you know, uh, I don't know. It, the, the whole workflow becomes a lot more streamlined and, and open. And I think that's a huge step forward for open source. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I've got a wiki that sits out there, um, and I put it out there probably two months ago, and I really haven't touched it. It, ne it was never really finished or polished or anything, and uh, someone found it, decided they wanted to start working on it. They forked it, and uh, I don't. They they were doing a lot of work, and uh, because it was just a public fork i was able to go in and pull in the bits that i found interesting and integrate it into the project and like the project's all of a sudden active again yeah you kind of everyone gets the, the resurrect spell because whereas before you go to a SourceForge page and it'd say you know here's all these bugs i found and here's all these patches i'm submitting and oh wait these none of these guys even write php anymore none of these guys even write ruby anymore well now you can just fork the project and do all that on your own you don't need someone's blessing to kind of contribute there to kind of uh you know download your your diff and then run the patch utility and then svn commit it and then have the changes show up there you can just do it on your own uh so that's a really kind of cool thing i think um because git kind of does the workflow thing for you whereas subversion just acts as a dumb code store i think that's one of the main reasons Git's really taking off but having kind of this open sort of uh you know, I, I see your wiki, and I can just start working on it on my own. It's cool because I can also just, if I know you, go to your GitHub profile and see all the mirrors of all your repositories and say, oh, he's got a wiki. You know, this is cool. I'll check this out. Whereas before it would be, I don't know, like maybe I'd go to your blog. Maybe you'd have projects that you put in your subversion repo that aren't on your blog right. because you didn't want to take the time to – it's just all automated now and very uh, nice. And then, of course, we have the the search, which is primitive right now, but if you Google for – if you use – type in wiki as a search term, yours is going to come up right away. So there's lots of ways to find projects that are interesting and never really can die because it's not really up to the maintainer anymore. There is no maintainer. There's just different kind of repos floating around. 
So what are you guys doing for um, backup specifically? Like I know that, you know, Git centrally is decentralized, so everyone does have a copy of the code. But, you know, at, at some point you do want to kind of have something that's backed up somewhere so that you don't get, you know, screwed. What are we doing for backups? Um, I think the way we're... The way we're doing it right now is um, we have another slice on a separate machine in with our hosting provider, and we back up the repositories to that just in case of uh, like a physical hardware failure. It's also kind of um, rated. It's GFS drive. So we have a couple different app servers that are all sharing the same GFS drive. So right there, even if one of them dies, all the code will be fine, and the website hopefully won't notice. So we're doing the the in-site kind of cross-machine backup, and we're, we want to start doing S3 backups, but... We have a lot of data, so we're going to need to figure that out and, and run it once to get it off to date and then go from there. But I think we're pretty confident that right now this, the backup set, setup is sufficient and will definitely work in case something major happens. Yeah, I would definitely take a look at S3 Sync. That's what I use on my – I've got a Slice set up, not with Engineer, but just with uh, Linode, and uh, I use it nightly, and it, it takes like 20 minutes just how, to sync to changes. How much data is that syncing? I personally have like it's like a gig, but it only copies the changes. So it's it's like R sync. Just it it's using a Ruby script and pushes it to S three instead. So, gotcha. but like the initial for you guys would probably be insane. Like I think it took me like an hour or something. I think we're what's our repository size at right now? Thirty thirty gig maybe. Was it? I thought it was in the twenties. We're up in the thirty to forty gig full repository size right now, I believe. And that's all, you know, you, we run Git GC, the garbage collection, mm-hmm. on that after every push. So that's as, as thin as Git can make those. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're storing a lot of data right now. What we might do is is just do a sort of an on-demand S3 backup for people. We have pretty good redundancy right now with the disk setup and the, and the separate slice, the secondary backup. And, you know, your first line of defense is sort of Git as its own backup, but obviously, you know, we need to protect people's data, and we do. Uh, But we might start offering an S3 backup on an individual account basis for people if they want that additional kind of security. We haven't really decided what our our attack for that will be yet, but that might be one avenue that we'll go. Yeah. No, that seems to make a lot of sense. That's a good, a nice premium I think people might be interested in. Yeah. The other thing, like, I found this interesting, just, like, since I have my slice set up, I could just run, like, a nightly pull set up a git repository on my slice and just run a git pull nightly that that keeps a copy of you it actually set up your remote to to have two different urls so when you push it pushes to both and you wouldn't have to type any more commands so a lot of people use github as just a mirror where to us it looks like everything's always up to date they're constantly committing but maybe that's not the one that they have their friends pull from maybe they have a, an internal repo somewhere so you can have git push your changes to as many different urls as you want with git push be cool yeah, and we really encourage that. We encourage you to put your repositories up in multiple places so that, you know, let's say there is a routing issue in your in your own home network and for some reason you can't get to GitHub. Well, Git makes it easy enough to put your repository in several different places that you can always get to it. You can always push to it and share those those changes with people. Obviously, GitHub makes that as easy as possible, but you're certainly free to set up you know, fallback strategies of your own. GitHub 2, coming soon. You should push to both. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so I don't, I don't know if either of you maybe saw the, um, the startup video or the startup school video from uh, David Hansen. I watched it, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was very interesting. He talked in particular about uh, building a business that is directed towards other small businesses versus building a business that's directed at consumers. And in particular, they're, they're, his theory behind that is, you know, Backpack didn't do so well because it was directed at the consumer. But Basecamp, you know, was always a strong product for them because businesses don't mind paying the money. Um, and then when they, when they changed Backpack so that it would be more useful to a business, they saw their sales uh, double overnight you know, do you like maybe this is more directed towards Chris? I don't know how f- popular Fam Spam is, but do you find that maybe GitHub took off faster than Fam Spam, and maybe that's the reason why? 
There are a number of reasons why GitHub uh, took off and FanSpam didn't. In fact, they're like stark opposites in so many different uh, areas. It's pretty interesting. So with FanSpam, it's like a private, family-specific Google Groups where you can email the – for me, it would be like you know, wanstroth at fanspam.com. Everyone in my small family gets that email. Um, if I don't participate in any threads within the past seven days, it'll be like, hey, your family wants to hear from you. Why don't you just reply to this message and let them know what's going on? And it's kind of this walled garden where all that data – I mean, we're, there's you can take the data out if you're uh, a member of the family. You can always get those emails and images and stuff, but only you and your, your four family members can, can get to that data. So it's all private. It can be done entirely through email. You never actually have to go to the site if you don't want to. And – it's kind of just this, you know, this walled garden. Whereas GitHub is open. Half half the projects on the site are public. So the one difference right there is that the data I submit to FanSpam, no one but my four family members can see. On GitHub, millions of people have the potential of seeing the data. So what we found on GitHub is it's kind of just like the whole the whole YouTube thing. Is we see large traffic spikes when someone posts code that's interesting and points to the code on GitHub. So it has nothing to do with our site. It's just people want to promote what they've done or show off something cool that they did, like a YouTube video, and we kind of benefit from it. I mean, people who come to the site to, to download the Signal Wiki because they they see it linked somewhere might never come to GitHub ever again um, and not care about the site. But a lot of the people they might stick around. They might say, "Oh, this is actually interesting." What other projects does this guy have, or what's the the change history? Let me subscribe to the RSS feed. With with FamSpam, we don't give anyone the opportunity to invite people, kind of, um, by showing off what they've done, by showing off their threads. So that's, I think, one of the the biggest differences to me is the GitHub is just kind of like self propagating. You know, look what I did on this website. Where FamSpam, the only way we would get someone to come to the website who's not already a member is by, you know. This site's working really well for my family. Why don't you check it out? You know, go to the the promo page where you don't actually see what it looks like except through this imaginary demo family that we created. You can't really participate. You can't really try it out. With GitHub, you can try out half of the functionality like right away. You see the fork button even if you're not logged in. You can click it and sign up really painlessly. There's always free accounts. Um, with FamSpam, the the free account plan is, I mean, it's kind of standard uh, Web 2.0 kind of pricing where. There's different levels of plans, and the free one, you get the least stuff. Whereas with GitHub, the free plan isn't the lowest plan. It's like the open source plan. So if you want to do a crap load of open source projects, you know, you've got 100 small plugins that you want to put up on the site, you don't ever have to pay any money. It's just open source stuff is always free to a reasonable size limit. And that also works to our advantage. I mean, it's good that the, that we can afford to do that because it's what we want as open source developers. I don't want to have to pay to share my code. With, the, with everyone else. So we kind of set it up so that the, the people who want to keep their code private are most likely wanting to keep it private because they're making money off it. So they can pass a little bit of that on to us, and then with that money we're making from them, we can let open source people host for free, which is exactly the situation both of us are in where we have private code that we're making money off and we have open source code we want to share. So I think the whole kind of you know taking advantage of the web is a really, really big deal. And with FamSpam, it's a website, but it's not really integrated in the web in any way. I mean, maybe it'll come up when you Google for family email, but that's it. Whereas GitHub has, I mean, Google isn't even our main referrer. We get tons of traffic from all these blogs, all these people who are linking to their projects. And I think a lot of the bigger sites like like YouTube, that's that's the way to go. That's really what's helped propel GitHub is that we're helping people show off what they've done instead of just trying to show off what we've done. Man, that's all. Hearing you say that, it sounds so much like audio we just released from Kathy Sierra. She was like... Uh, uh, if you get a chance to listen to this, the latest episode we put out was uh, on creating passionate users. And one of the things that she said was about, you know, if you get to the eye perspective uh, in a website, like a user experience is uh, – if um, an example they used was an Amazon book review. In the book review, if you saw people saying, well, this book is really great or whatever, whatever, it was more like they wanted to encourage users to talk from the eye perspective. This book helped me do this. And when I heard you say that, it's like completely contrasts exactly what she said to get it. To get user experience right, so congrats. That's basically what I'm saying. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And another thing w- that's really helped us propel forward really quickly is the community of users that we belong to, and especially the Ruby community, is very open to change for the better. That's one thing that the Ruby community gets incredibly right, and that's to not be afraid of progress. Ruby developers all over the world now have switched to Git because they tried it out, they saw that it was better than the, what they were currently doing, and they're not embroiled in a, a lot of this, the, the things that prevent people from, from making progress. They're not afraid to switch to something 
I mean, probably the reason that they're using Ruby, is, you know, most likely is Rails overall. And these are the same kind of people that made me switch from Java or PHP to Rails because they experienced something that was better and they were ballsy enough to, to do it, to actually embrace it and say, you know what, this is better. I don't care what the rest of the world is doing right now. I'm going to join this group and make it better for everyone else. And that's another thing that gets me about when people come down hard on, say, uh, to use a, a, you know, a current news topic, say Twitter, and some of their downtime and try to tie that to Rails. And even though it's not, that's not really the issue at all, they're doing something with a new technology, propelling it forward, and there's something hugely, immensely useful in that and awesome about that, that they're willing to put their company on the line to make a technology that they believe in even more awesome for everyone else. And, you know, I think every language goes through this. You know, PHP went through it in the early days. Yeah, sure, you know, it was it was kind of garbagey and nobody used it. And But then people came on and they said, you know what, this is better. It's simple. I can, I can connect the database really simply. And in the very beginning, the same things that people say about, you know, Ruby and Rails and, and some of these other newer technologies, they were saying about PHP. And it happens every single time. And there's this cycle of, you know, the ballsy people coming on board early saying, I can make this better. And they do. And then 10 years down the road, everyone's using it, and that's the de facto. And then another language comes along, another technology comes along, and the same thing happens. This is what's happening with Git right now, is that the ballsy people are coming forward saying, this is awesome. Uh, I love this. I'm going to use it. I'm going to get other people to use it. I'm going to build tools so that other people feel comfortable using it. They're willing to take a little bit of pain and put forward a little bit of effort because they believe in it so much. And that has been hugely important to the success of GitHub so far. Earlier, um, to about two or three months ago, Josh was talking to me about moving to Git, and uh, he was like, well, you have to relearn it, Adam. And I'm like, that ah, kind of sucks. I don't really want to relearn something else. I don't. I just sort of gotten – I'm not a, a Ruby guy, so I'm not you know at, at Josh's level more or less, but I'm committing code to SVM repositories. I'm, I've been very fluent with that for the past few years, so – um, just to kind of give you a stance where I'm coming from. But he was like, you know, we should move to Git. And I'm like, ah, you know, should we do that? The moment I got it, I was like, we have to use Git for everything. The So to, to kind of uh, extract some of the things you were saying was that um, – should I, I sort of lost my, my train of thought. But basically what I was saying was that as soon as I got it, I had to use it. It was, it was one of those things. I saw that it was different. I saw that it gave me flexibility, and it was, it just seemed – Logical. It's kind of like when you pick up a Mac, things that don't seem like they should work the way they do, they do. But, you know, that it just was like a very uh, humane way of, I think, committing code. You know? Yeah, and it's, and it's awesome from our position to be able to see so many people having that same sort of moment, that moment of realization like, holy crap, this is so different and so much better. And what I like to do is go on TweetScan and do a search for GitHub and see that moment 20, 30 times a day, people Twittering about that moment. <laughs> it's pretty amazing to see those those scroll by. And you go back, you know, pages and pages, and you just see the people so surprised and and delighted at how their eyes have been opened to something that's that's new that allows them to do things that they couldn't do before, that they didn't even realize that were possibilities and to see that moment happen so many times is, is pretty amazing yeah you guys should uh check out we all hate quickbooks.com <laughs> no it's it's interesting because they uh they they came up with this page it's like anytime anyone says anything about quickbooks on twitter it shows up on this page like they pull in the i don't know if it's like the tweet scan or where they're pulling that from but like they just made this goofy little it's for the less accounting guys they have a product that competes with quickbooks but uh that's interesting because you should totally like pull in the feed for anytime anyone says something about github and just put it on a testimonial page we actually we do have a testimonial page right. we pulled a lot of them from the tweet scan because there's so many like really short really to the point just man i just pushed my first git repo to github and it was so amazingly easy and we put it up there because we love to see that. And we want other people to, to try it out because it takes so little time to, to, to make an account and to do a git push, git remote add, git push, and then see your code up there. Well, it's like, I don't know. I, can't, I never really used another hosted source control provider, but 
like just setting up track and all that stuff that I've done in the past on my own has not been easy nor fun nor pleasurable. So it's well, uh, it's track cool itself is never pleasurable. I mean, they expose SQL for their reporting. It's like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it, it's a pretty cool kind of deal. And then you know, once you start getting into it, you see, like Tom said, all the stuff that is possible that you couldn't even kind of fathom before. It's like, why would I ever branch? You know, and then you just get and you say, oh, why wasn't I branching before? That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you know, on the flip side of that, I, I had a painful experience recently where i uh, tried to force the tasty planner team to move over to git and uh, i'm like okay every feature needs to be a branch so you guys just need to work with these five branches and when the work's done we'll, we'll merge each one back to master and like i i was gone one day and the the other designer like i don't know what he did or how he did it but somehow he merged one branch into another and then like one of the other Ruby guys ended up merging that branch into another one. So we had like three branches that were all merging into each other. And, uh, and then someone else was trying to do a rebase and <laughs> it threw like 30 conflicts up. It was, it was bad stuff. With great power comes great responsibility. Indeed. So when, when are we going to see like the power of Git podcast that you guys are going to put out like the screencast that tells us all how to use Git in great ways. From the very beginning, one of my initial initiatives I wanted to do was was uh, to do really amazing instructional sort of short tutorials for Git. Just like how do you how do you set up a repo initially? Okay, tiny you know short little video. It's like twenty seconds long, right? Get in it, you know, done. Uh, but to string these together into bite-sized videos that you could sit down some afternoon and say, okay, all right, fine, get, all right, I've heard about this so much now, I'm going to go and figure out what this thing is about. Make that be a place where you could send a friend or a coworker who's a little bit skeptical and say, you know what, just watch a few of these, go through some of these exercises that they're doing and see if, you know, see what it's all about. And to make, to make them short enough that it's not this huge investment, you don't have to sit down and watch this hour-long tech talk kind of thing, which, you know, it works really well too, but there's a certain kind of person that, that needs, you know, a little softer approach than that. Like, like rails cast basically. Exactly. Yeah. To say, to say, Hey, you want to merge in a remote branch from a buddy and, uh, and just that, right. Where you're, you're new to get, yeah. You know, we've all, we were all get newbies at one point and I do remember that pain and I want that to be I want that to be lessened. One of the things that's a problem with Git a little bit is that there's a lot of different ways to do things, and you don't know what the best practice is. It's not spelled out really well in documentation yet, and that's changing a lot right now. If you go to the web and do search for Git documentation, there's there's more and better documentation coming online every day as more people get involved. But what I want to do is have really short, to the point, uh, easy to follow, bite-sized instructional videos uh, to, to take people through that initial first step of learning to use Git and say, here's here's how we use it at GitHub. This is what we suggest you do. Obviously, that we'll be using GitHub for these examples and say, this is the workflow that we use on GitHub using Git to collaborate and do these different kinds of things and try to impress those best practices on people because that's what they want. Half of the questions are, what is the best way to do this? Because they can probably think of five different ways now that they've started using Git to say, well, how you know should I be merging or rebasing what's the difference between the two i get conflicts when i do rebase sometimes but merge seems to work but i hate those merge messages i mean there's a lot of confusion about what the best practices are and that's what i wanted to do from the very beginning and we'll get there it's just a matter of time we have to sort of finish up soon is the short answer i think we really wanted at the beginning uh we had a different vision of the site it would be like an easy way to host repositories and this really comprehensive like uh wikipedia style guides and and screencasts that are always going up and kind of this is github is like the github for all things git like you can come here you can get all this information but then as we were developing it it kind of took this kind of social turn and that became like infinitely more interesting than us writing documentation or doing screencasts so I think we do want to do like a, Git po- a GitHub podcast about Git, and we want to do these bite-sized screencasts um, in the near future, kind of put out the information. But, um, you know, the social stuff kind of took over. That's what we've really been passionate about. And all the code collaboration and, and that sort of thing has been what really has been interesting to us because um, other people are doing a really good job of writing documentation, but we have the power to add these features. Um, we always recommend, well, we always ask stuff like... Um 
if you've read any recent books that uh, you can recommend to kind of put some of the things you have, like your ideals that you have or so your perspective on on uh, on development, software development, or any sort of specific blogs or people that you follow that uh, that you can recommend to listeners? Heroes, yeah. Who are you a fanboy of? I think uh, the DHH's Startup Talker is interesting because a lot of that stuff is obviously things that they've been saying and preaching for years. And a lot of those principles are what we've kind of built logical awesome rounds. Like when we have a new feature ready, we push it out. We have our change log visible. We try and be very transparent like whenever there's downtime and one of us screws up or whenever a new something is on the horizon or, you know, we have a, the bug tracker and all that we try and participate in. And as far as the the whole money situation goes, I mean, Tom has a, a full-time engagement right now that he's working on. I did the consulting thing and saved up money so I could work on GitHub full-time and we're not taking any outside investment. So we're trying to be very, you know, we don't have an office. We all work from home in cafes and whatnot. So we're trying to be very kind of, uh, you know, real about it with a capital R and a trademark sign after it. Uh, <laughs> So, I mean, all that, all that kind of stuff that, that those guys do, the kind of just, you know, taking a step back and not really looking at what everyone else in the city is doing and the kind of practices that are in the industry and instead focusing on like, okay, I'm a smart guy. What do I think is actually a good idea? And which of these ideas that I'm presented with actually make a lot of sense and are going to make me like the most productive and the most money in the long run? And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, more or less the, the 37 singles kind of uh, keep it all like lean and mean approach is what we're going after, which, you know, we're Rails developers. So we obviously have a, kind of an agile, I don't know, hard on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll, well I'll, add, I'll add to that and say, yeah, I, I watched uh, David's talk uh, at the startup school, and it's it's really amazing to watch him talk about that because he's he's obviously so passionate about it when he speaks about it. He believes in it so much. And having executed some of this kind of stuff, and I'll say I never I never actually read Getting Real. I've never actually read that book, but just you know living in this in this world and being around rails applications and and living in san francisco you see so many startups it, it's interesting for me that we were able to do this in that model and that it has already been very successful for us using that model to build a service that does something that people find useful and that they're willing to pay for it's a very powerful model and you know it seems so obvious but uh San Francisco and the culture around here obviously makes people want to take VC because it is, you know, it's, it's, if you know the right people, it's, it's, it seems trivial to do so. Uh, and if you're in that circle and especially people in the rails environment are, are very close to VC a lot of the time, it's very, a very hot thing to be doing. And so it's tempting. And yet I feel like I want to build a company that I, I would be willing to work for basically forever that that's something that i can call my own that myself and and the small team of people that i work with are the bosses we make the decisions we don't answer to anyone but our users and ourselves obviously and that we can make and sustain a business this way that's really attractive to me to where i don't want to be underneath a vc under you know to have that that kind of complexity and control and have this board that people outside the company sit on and make decisions that are good for them financially but bad for us technologically and for our users. That's something that if we can avoid that and still grow the business and be successful, then I would I would love to go down that road. So, yeah, David's been a, a, a definitely an inspiration. We don't actually even force anyone to pay right now. We have no limits enforced, and we're making uh, way more money than I thought we would make. So I think that this is this has done really well for us so far. Um, but I would I would add to... All of that is I actually, in the course of consulting, worked with like lots of VC-backed startups, and um, the whole 37 Singles thing became all the more appealing to me the more I saw how this was kind of run and the kind of crazy ideas these people had. But what one of the things I learned from FamSpam, which is a really cool site, I think. I, I think it's an amazing site. And uh, I use it in my family you know, once a week at least or once every other week. But it's not like... I'm a developer, you know, there's like the only two things I do like in my entire life are like program and play guitar. And so the fact that I built a site for families, um, in retrospect seems like a good, it was a really good learning experience, but it's like, if I'm going to do something now that I want to like make money off of, it has to be something that I am like 
really, really passionate about. And so with GitHub, it's like, well, that's just like a no-brainer. Like, we use GitHub to develop GitHub. It doesn't get any more to the me- bare, bare metal than that. Um, I, I, like, I know not everyone can write like an awesome kind of like source code repository because there's just, you know, you, we don't want you to compete with us. But <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, there's lots of like other ideas that um, before I was like, oh, I don't know, is this going to make money or, or whatnot, where now it's like, oh, yeah, I would really love that. You know, maybe I should have worked on that. I think the kind of like which thing am I really excited about is more important than what's going to make me a lot of money. Yeah, it's. I, I think I take a similar approach with like the podcast. It's like, do like we'll get emails all the time and people are like, you know, you should have us on the show. It'll be really interesting. And I'll look at it and I'll go, that's not really interesting to me. I don't really care about that, so I'm not going to have you on the show. So like, I, I think we're almost like the rails two podcasts because we tend to do a lot of rail stuff but um you know to me it's all about finding stuff that's interesting to me and if it's interesting to me it's probably interesting to 10 20,000 other people out there exactly so um i'll recommend a book then all right please please, please <laughs> on do. top of getting please real do. on the on the plane ride here and this is in contrast of your of you mentioning excitement and working on something that you're excited about is that I, I started listening to this book called The 4-Hour Workweek. And when you, when you listen to that title and you think, is that really possible? Well, he's talking a lot about outsourcing different things in your life and just a way to really optimize your usage of your time. But one specific thing he talked about was, uh, was happiness and how that contrasts with something you're excited about. And when you start to place, ex- with, uh, start to place constraints in your life like uh, you know, DHH and 37 Seamless have like, really evangelized about it. It's like placing constraints on your workflow – or what you're developing, and then you get something better out of it. Uh, so in contrast to that, I would recommend that book because he talks about working on something with constraints and excitement. You know, So if, if you're excited about Git versus you know, something that's family, then obviously you've uh, – <laughs> Not exactly like you know, anti-family, but, uh, but I think Git in terms of what you do is more exciting than building a site that, that is for families. That's you know I've I've been working full time. I used to do consulting for myself for three years, and then I started doing full time work again, largely because I wanted to actually be around people again. I was just doing my own thing, and it was very isolation based. Uh, but what 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 that allowed me to do was really focus on what was interesting for me to do on the side. I'm always doing something on the side. I can't not do something on the side. This is a problem that I have, and so. I I built uh, you know I, I I did Gravatar before and I sold that to Automatic. I did that for a long time and it was great for a while and then it started to just get annoying because I never made any money off it other than through donations and those were pretty slim and it just became this huge time drain and and it cost me money to keep the servers up and I had to have a you know a decent server set up to serve all of them and anytime there was any sort of uh, downtime or problem with the serving, people got really irate, and they—I mean, like ridiculously so. Like, like, like you see with Twitter now, yeah, right? Every yeah. time it goes down, people Twitter's just freak Twitter. out, <laughs> right? And then you've got Arrington, who does you know the, the biggest freak out of them all, on Blaine for leaving, right? And you know, people are so into this stuff that's you know it's it's free to them, you know, and they just uh, it, there comes a point, and obviously Twitter's a, a business, whereas Gravatar was never really a business. But what that taught me was that. The next time I did something on the side that was going to be serious, that was going to be a non-open source type thing that I was really going to sink a huge amount of time into, it was going to be something that was sustainable. And that was, from the very beginning of GitHub, something that I wanted to make sure was going to be something that we were going to make money at. Because you can't build a service like that for free. I don't... I mean, maybe you could. I, I don't think that you could. It could be possible, but... What's really allowed GitHub to be the, the awesome, as awesome as it is is that we can approach it as a business and know that we're going to make money on it and spend time knowing that we're going to make money on it and that it's not just this open source thing. Contrast that to, say, Gatorius, right, which is fully open source, and they're doing some great stuff on their own. But we can really drive forward at a, at a pretty tremendous pace because it's a real business. That gives us a big advantage in putting out features and being able to spend time on it. Uh, obviously, 
once we're all full-time on it, then it'll be even more so. We can really concentrate on, on pushing that out there. But if you can build a successful and profitable business around something that you love doing anyway, that for me is the big win. And I think that's what I was always striving for with my side projects that I failed at at Gravatar. You know, it was just not – I didn't think ahead enough. I was like, hey, this is a cool thing that I can do that doesn't exist yet, and I did it. And then later on I was like, man, that was a terrible idea. I mean, you know, it was a good idea and people liked it, but it was a terrible idea from a personal standpoint because it was not something that I could sustain properly. And yeah, so, I, I think that's something that we run into with, like, Tasty Planner. Like, we really enjoy working on it and we like to see people, like, cooking and putting recipes up and stuff. But we're not making any money off of it and we're not really sure how to make money off of it. So it's kind of hard to sit down and say, I have an hour of free time. Let, let's spend it, you know, making this, this project even better. It gets a little frustrating. Right. So, yeah, I mean, obviously money behind things can make them, can make them better. And, and there's that, that fine line between working on open source stuff and working on stuff that you get paid for. And I like to do both. You can be more experimental, a little more free, a little less responsible with your open source stuff than you can with the stuff you're getting paid for. So it gives you that level of freedom that working on a business doesn't, that you can't afford working on a business, but that working on a business keeps you more focused. So it's, it's, like, a, it's like two sides, right? It's two different uh, feelings. It's like, what do I want to work on right now? I'm not going to be serious. I'm going to work on work or I'm going to do something really crazy experimental, go work on something open source and see what happens with it. I like to have both of those in my life. So um, are you guys working on anything super secret that uh, yes. that you can release yes. today, here, right now, for no. the first time? <laughs> Sadly, no. I don't believe we have anything like that ready yet. We do have some pretty amazing stuff in the pipeline uh, that will come out in the next couple months probably. But we're you know coming off the launch. We put all, all our super secret features for the launch, so – that was only two weeks ago. You know, you cut us some slack. <laughs> <laughs> no, the uh, the commit comments were actually pretty pretty freaking cool. Awesome. Yes. And it, it, I, you know, I don't see anyone using them except the Rails project. And like, it's very interesting to watch it on the Rails project because, like, I, I don't even know if the core people are really watching the comments, but it, it's fun to watch them. Myself. I know, I know, Lifeo does, and I think I've seen Technoweenie on a couple. Yeah, but uh, like Will Paginate uses them. Um, a couple repos that I'm watching, I see comments pop up in my feed, and I always go check it out. Uh, I think I've seen a couple on Sinatra too, where like the maintainer has made comments on uh, someone else's branch after they've issued a pull request, asking them why they did stuff. So it's just like you know the cream dream right there. It's exactly what we wanted. Yeah. Um, but also, like, the real idea behind code comments is private repos. More of, like, if you're in a small team of people and you're all working on the same repo together and you're all looking over everyone's commits, uh, it's just, like, kind of instant code review right there, feedback, and really much, much less complicated than something like, um, I don't even know. We looked at a couple code review sites in the way they did it, and it was, like, you have to, like, make, like, a report or something. I don't have time for that. I'm just going to, like, flame you on this one line while I'm looking at it and then forget about it and never read your response. So that's kind of the uh, the, the need, the itch that the code comments scratch. But, um, I mean, there's nothing – we have a lot of ideas that we're, we're kind of working on. There's a couple big problems that we've run into that we're trying to solve as far as leveraging Git for things that other than uh, source control that once we have figured out, we're going to do some awesome stuff with. But uh, in the future – what we're going to start focusing on is the collaboration. Now that we have this awesome, like, platform, um, now that we have this feed that we've got people used to and we've had all these kind of, like, networking features, now we're going to start, okay, here's a better version of the feed. Okay, here's more things you can do with your feed. Okay, here's, like, more kind of private company overboard, um, overview kind of things you can have. And so just it's going to be an awesome platform for doing stuff with people. So that's the, that's the gist of it. The gist of it. Yeah. That's, the, that's the gist of it. There are a couple of things that aren't really that are are that we're we're not keeping secret, and, and those are building out stuff for groups and companies, making that more first class to make it to do to do you know what what David said in his talk was the Fortune five million right. These are the small businesses that are comfortable putting their stuff up on your service. They're not, they don't have this this closed wall that the really big companies do, so they're they're attracted by that that. Uh, hosted model. So we want to go after them a little more aggressively, make features geared towards them, towards groups and companies. Um, we want to make those more first class. Uh, another thing is to make pull requests 
more integrated into a workflow. Right now, they're they're pretty lightweight. It's basically just a message. Right. Uh, but to really make those part of an integrated workflow so that you get a, a pull thing, you can immediately see the combined diff of the difference between their branch and yours. Uh, maybe you can do comments on that combined diff or something. Maybe even do on-site merges with that potentially. Um, but this stuff is this stuff is down the road. But to do to make pull requests better is is another thing that will be in the works. So those are a couple things that we can't tell you about. Yeah. Other stuff secret. Very secret. Super secret. All right. Well, I, is there anything we missed that you guys wanted to talk about or tell us about? I just wanted to talk about GitHub. GitHub. We accomplished as much. Yeah. Come talk to us at uh, RailsConf if this goes up before then. We're going to have T-shirts, so find Sweet. us. Sweet. Yeah, we're going to have a booth apparently at RailsConf, too. A booth? Yeah, wow. you'll, you'll be able to find us by the gigantic Octocat sign. Nice. So. Slick. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. For kick-ass business class Rails hosting, go to EngineYard.com. That's E-N-G-I-N-E-Y-A-R-D.com.